My name is Heidi and I love stories. Funny stories and sad stories and what on earth just happened to stories? Well, as it turns out, the Bible is full of them. And after two decades in Sunday school, plus a master's in English, I'm here to tell them to you. Get ready. This is Messy Scripture. So you might recall that David just climbed out his window to escape his angry father-in-law. He escapes to the city of Nob, where there's two things. One, Goliath's sword, and two, some bread. This is important because David hasn't eaten anything and also climbed out his window with no sword, like an idiot. And he asks the priests if there's any food around. They're like, well, we only have the bread that's dedicated to God. And David's like, I'm pretty sure God's going to be okay with it if I eat this. So he does. And then also he's like, do you guys have any swords lying around? And they're like, uh, we're priests. And he's like, any, any swords? And they're like, well, we have Goliath's sword. It's pretty big, but like kind of more of a trophy, not really a usable weapon. And David's like, great, I'll take it and runs off. He ends up going to a place called Adulam, which is a cave. And his family and his brothers heard about it, and they ended up going and joining David and becoming like a ragtag army of people. And slowly, people who were in debt or had issues or problems or just didn't like King Saul ended up joining David until he had a small militia of about 400 men. David also made sure that his parents were safe by shipping them back off to Moab. Remember, he had relatives in Moab because Ruth apparently got back in touch with them and was like, please let my family stay in Moab until this whole, like me getting hunted by the king thing blows over and Moab's like yeah sure why not so David's parents are in Moab David's brothers are with him in the cave and he's got a militia going in the meantime Saul finds out that David had been to Nob and he goes to them and he's like hey did you guys help David escape and they're like escape what are you talking about like he came and he said that he was here on your business and so we helped him out because at this point Saul had not put out the word that he was trying to kill the national favorite He had to after this, though, because clearly people were going to help David if he didn't. Saul was also enraged that they had fed David and given him a weapon and helped him get out of his reach. And so Saul commits an atrocity. He massacres all the priests at Nob. In fact, his own servants were so disturbed by what Saul was trying to do that he had to ask an Edomite, i.e. a descendant of Esau, to do the dirty work because it was too distasteful to the soldiers of Israel. One person did escape. His name is Abathar. And he got to David and was like, "Uh, so Saul's definitely coming after you. Everyone is dead. And I am here to be your priest. And David's like, all right, well, this just got a lot more complicated. I knew that Edomite was no good. And now we're seriously in trouble. Just because David's on the run from Israel's king doesn't mean David's not like super pro his own nation, you know, the one that he's eventually going to be king of. And so when he finds out that the Philistines are attacking the city of Keilah, he decides, well, prays about it, and then God tells him to go save the city. Unfortunately, after he saves the city, Saul hears about it, you know, because David's awesome and word spreads. And Saul is like, ooh, perfect, David's in a city, let's go grab him. And that's not great. (laughs) So David has to escape from this city that he's just liberated, like, came in, saved him, they're going to hand him over to Saul, so he just zooms right out of there. And he escapes into the wilderness, where there's a ton of caves and, like, the worst place to find someone. It's miserable to be there, but it's also really hard to locate, like, a person in this rocky, cavernous mess. In fact, Saul gives up. He's just like, yeah, no. And so an entire area is named the Rock of Escape because Saul couldn't find David. But Saul gives up, like, very temporarily. 
If it sounds like Saul's getting kind of temperamental and psychotic, it's because Saul is getting temperamental and psychotic. He hears that David's in the wilderness of En Gedi and brings 3,000 people to go find him. And in fact, he accidentally does. And I say accidentally because Saul stumbles into where David is. He's like, okay, we know he's somewhere around here. Now I'm going to go into this cave and have a shishi, and then we'll go find David. Unfortunately, the cave that Saul wanders into is in fact the cave that all 400 of David's men and David are crouching in the back in. So they see King Saul relieving himself and are like, David, opportunity time. You could kill him and no one would mind. And David's like, are you guys kidding me? We're not killing the king. That's God's anointed. And he's like, ooh, stealth mode. I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to cut off a piece of Saul's robe. That'll show him. But then as soon as he cuts off the robe, he's like, but I did something bad. I shouldn't have done this to God's anointed. This is not okay. So he calls after Saul and he's like, hey, King Saul. And Saul's like, David? David's like, you see this? I had an opportunity to kill you and I didn't because you're God's anointed. And because I'm still loyal to you, please stop hunting me down like a criminal in the desert. Why are you listening to people who say I want to hurt you? I've never done anything to harm you or our country. I care about you. I'm your son-in-law, for Pete's sake. And the truth gets through to Saul. He bursts into tears and calls out to David as his son again and welcomes him in with open arms. Saul even has a moment of clarity where he tells David that he knows David will be king of Israel. And he asks David to promise him that he won't destroy Saul's house, which David pledges. Saul returns home and David and his men go up to a stronghold because, like, It's not exactly safe to go back with Saul, but at least for the moment, they're reconciled. At this point in the story, the prophet Samuel dies. All of Israel mourns for him, and they bury him at his house in Ramah. So David's still kind of making his way downtown, walking fast, and he goes into the wilderness of Paran, where he runs into a man named Nabal, who is married to a woman named Abigail. Nabal is an idiot. Abigail is a stunner. She's gorgeous. She's smart. She's awesome. Nabal is the worst. And David is like, hey, can we have some food? We took care of your shepherds when they were out, you know, near us. We made sure that they were safe. We not only didn't harm them, but we protected them from anyone and anything that might. So would you guys mind sharing some of your food? It is a feast day. And Nabal's like, who the f*** are you? Get out. Who's the son of Jesse? I don't care who you are. And David is so pissed when he gets this message. He's like, that's it. That's freaking it. I'm killing Nabal and everyone in his household. This is ridiculous. We took such good care of them. And so they armor up. However, fortunately for Nabal, one of the servants tells Abigail, his wife, what he said to David, the warrior who's now on his way with his militia. And Abigail's like, oh, crap. She loads up her donkey with a ton of food and make sure that the servants are coming behind with enough food to feed all of David's men. And she basically throws herself before David and is like, here's the thing. My husband is an idiot. He's a bitter, stupid, stupid man. Please don't kill all of us because he's dumb. Look, I've brought food and wine and I don't want to die today. (laughs) Please forgive my husband for his idiocy. And David is like, I am so glad that you ran into me and that you stopped me because I would have done something absolutely terrible today. God has saved me through you from my own idiocy. David tells Abigail to go home and promises that he's not going to do anything to hurt her or her husband. The feud is resolved. 
Abigail does go home and Nabal's like drunk as a skunk. He is partying super hard, throwing a feast like a king. And oh lordy. In the morning when he's hung over, she tells him what she did with David, i.e. that she saved their lives. And he just is stunned, like in shock. The text says that his heart became like stone, but it doesn't say he did anything else except for die 10 days later. God just straight smited him. And as soon as David heard that Nabal was dead, he's like, you know what I would like? A wife, another one. So he blesses God who has struck down his enemy Nabal and he takes Abigail to be his second wife. To be clear, he also took another wife. Her name is Ahinoam and Michal, Saul's daughter, had been given to someone else. Like Saul was like, well, I guess David's not coming back for you. So he just like straight gave David's wife away. So now David has two wives that are with him, plus Michal, who hopefully he'll eventually get back, I guess. Saul once again gets word of where David is. This time he's in a different wilderness. And David is now being hunted by Saul again. Saul is like, ooh, let's get David. And he brings like 3,000 people again to attack David's 400 people again. David found the encampment through his special spies and brought a couple of his buddies Hamelech and Abishai and was like, will you go down into the camp with me to spy on Saul? And they're like, yeah, why not? So David goes down to the camp and they find Saul fast asleep. Now he's in the middle. The army is camped around him, but that doesn't mean he shouldn't have had like a guard in his tent. And the dudes are like, hey, David, this is your chance to kill him. Abishai's like, come on, man. His spear is right there. You could run him through and we would be able to go home. We wouldn't be on the run. And David's like, absolutely not. That is God's anointed. We can't kill him. But he does take Saul's spear and water jug, escapes the encampment, which God had put into a deep sleep, basically, and then goes to the top of a cliff and is like, hey, Saul, guess what I have? It's your water jug and your spear. And Saul's like, David? Saul? It's very much like the last time where Saul realized that he was in the wrong for chasing David, who had not done anything against him or Israel. And David is like, yay, I'm welcome back. Saul calls David his son again, says that he will succeed. And David is like, Saul's not going to stop chasing me down. I have to find a way out of Israel. And so David does what might be the most insane thing of his career. He offers his services to the Philistines as militia assassins. The Philistine king thinks that David is attacking Israelite encampments. However, he's not. He's attacking other encampments, mutual enemies. And he's killing everyone so that no one can report back and be like, oh yeah, David didn't go raiding in the right spot. David raided uh, other people. The king of the Philistines was thrilled. He had David on his side. Saul was not thrilled. He was extremely worried. Now the Philistine army amassed itself and was going to attack Israel again. And David was like, hey, let me come with you. And the king was like, absolutely, you can be my bodyguard. And the Philistine king's council is like, what are you doing? That's David of Israel. You are insane. I don't think you should do this. And the king's like, David, here's the thing. All of my council says you can't come with me. So as much as I want you to, we have to send you away. And David's like, all right. So now David doesn't have to attack Israel as a part of the Philistine army, but he's once again uh, not really able to do much. Meanwhile, Saul is extremely concerned about what is going to happen to him. So he does something absolutely nuts. He goes and finds a medium, someone who can summon the spirits of the dead. There is one still in the area of Endor. And 
here's the thing. Mediums were completely outlawed, like witches, necromancers, the whole thing. Saul himself had done it. But he goes to the medium and he's like, I need you to summon a spirit. And she's like, if you ask me to do that, then Saul is going to hear about it and I'm going to get in trouble and I'm going to get killed for it. And Saul's like, I swear on the name of God, Saul is not going to hurt you about this. And he asks the medium to summon the spirit of Samuel. And to her great surprise, Samuel comes up and he's like, Saul, why are you bothering? Why did you summon me out of death to tell you what you already know? You already know how this battle's going to go. You already know that God has rejected you. You already know that David's going to be king and you already know that you're going to die. So why did I have to come up from the dead? The medium is freaking out because she did not expect this. And Saul is like, please give me some comfort. And Samuel's like, I can't, dude. You're screwed. In fact, by tomorrow night, both you and your sons will be with me in the grave, very dead. You gotta love that poetic justice of Samuel's first real prophecy being about how someone and their sons were going to die. And his last prophecy, from the freaking grave, is also about somebody and his sons dying. You know, because they're awful and the worst. After Samuel delivers his message of doom, he goes back into the grave and the witch is like, Hey Saul, you want to get up off the ground? I figured out who you are when he started talking because he was talking to you pretty directly. Do you want something to eat? And Saul's like, no, I don't want food right now. And she's like, come on, man. If you're going to die, at least die on a full stomach. So Saul does take something to eat. David, off on his own, finds out that the Amalekites have attacked the city where his family and all of his people's families are. They've attacked and raided Ziklag and everyone has been captured. In serving the Philistines, David left his people pretty open to being attacked and as soon as he was not with the Philistines everything went to hell it's gotten so bad that David's own men are thinking of turning on him and he bursts into tears and prayerfully begs God for a solution to this problem like what are we gonna do his wives have been captured everyone's wives have been captured all of their stuff this is horrible but God tells David to pursue the Amalekites because he will take back what is theirs and he does 400 men go with him, 200 of whom become too exhausted to continue the journey after a certain point. And so David leaves them with all of the military supplies. They do, in fact, capture back everyone from the Amalekites. He rescues his wives, he rescues everyone's families, and he takes all of their stuff. When he gets back to the 200 who'd watched the baggage, the people who had finished the raid were like, hey, we should get all the spoils and the baggage people should get nothing. And David's like, excuse you, no. They were doing an important job. They watched the stuff and they wouldn't have been helpful in the battle anyway. And we're all on the same team. So no, they also get plunder. And it became a rule. Anyone serving in the army got equal spoils of war. David had recovered everyone's families, everyone's stuff, including his own. But he'd also gotten some spoils from the situation. And so he sent parts of the spoils that they had gotten from that to everywhere that had sheltered him on his journeys through the wilderness while he was on the run from King Saul. In case anyone is a little unclear about what's been happening this episode, because I understand it's been moving very fast, David has been on the run consistently from King Saul and also doing everything he can to still be an ally to the nation of Israel and also save his own neck. On the other hand, King Saul has been trying to find David and also his kingdom is in serious disarray. Everything comes to a head when the Philistines fight against Israel. In fact, on the very day Samuel said it would happen, the Philistines killed Jonathan and Abinadab and Melchishua, the sons of Saul. 
The battle was going very, very badly. Saul was wounded and unable to fight, and so he asked his armor bearer to kill him so that he wouldn't be molested or mistreated by the Philistines, because, you know, that would be very bad, and he knew that the Philistines wouldn't let him get off lightly, but the armor bearer didn't have the courage to kill the king. So Saul fell on his own sword, killing himself, and when his armor bearer, who, keep in mind, would have been a good friend and kind of a bodyguard of his, saw what Saul had done, he fell on his sword too. In one day, Saul's army, his three sons, his armor bearer, and himself died at the hands of the Philistines. The Philistines beheaded Saul's body, took off his armor, and hung it from the walls of one of their cities, the city of Bethshan. However, when the men of Jabesh-Gilead, the city that Saul had rescued when he was first king, the city that made Saul king, heard what had been done to his body, they went in the night and stole the body of Saul and all of his sons and buried them properly in Jabesh. And there they fasted for seven days. On David's third day in Ziklag, a man came from Saul's camp, and he told David that he was an Amalekite who had seen the death of Saul. In fact, he lied. He had been the one to kill Saul. He said that he had seen Saul struggling, that he was definitely going to die anyway, and so when Saul asked him to, he ran him through with his spear. This young Amalekite had brought David Saul's crown and his arm ring. Definite evidence is that it was Saul whose body he had taken them from. He probably expected to be celebrated, but that was not David's reaction. He tore his clothes and went into mourning, screaming laments for Saul and Jonathan. And then... He turned on the Amalekite and asked him how he had dared to kill the king of Israel, how he had dared to kill God's anointed, and his men executed him there on the spot. You can find David's lament for Jonathan and for King Saul in 2 Samuel chapter 1. With the death of Saul, David was crowned king of Judah, which consisted of the tribes Benjamin, Judah, and the Levites who lived in the area. David's not king of all of Israel yet but he will be. It's promised. Season three of Messy Scripture will come in the first week of November, and we'll see David's kingship and what happens to his sons after he reigns. Quick spoiler alert, the line of David will never pass away, but the kings that follow David are not necessarily quite in his stead. But first, David has to become king of Israel. Stay tuned for the crowning of the king in season three of Messy Scripture.